As we go this morning, we're going to jump into a passage in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 61. We're going to have some of that up on the screen for you, but I uh, encourage you, if you've got a, a phone or a Bible with you, to find Isaiah 61, and we're going to read uh, that chapter here in just a minute. Um, also, if, if you're new to Christ Community, if you're visiting with family or uh, whatever that looks like, uh, we want to let you know that there's a communication card on the back of your chair, hopefully in front of you, or there's some over on our Connect board. And uh, you might just grab one of those, and um, that's a way for you to communicate with us, um, or you can just grab us and talk to us face-to-face. We like to do that, too. So um, let's read Isaiah 61 together, and then uh, we're going to jump in and talk a little bit about the joy of Christ this morning. Isaiah 61 says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers. But you shall be called the priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations, and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them, that they are an offspring the Lord has blessed. So I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word to us that not only teaches us, but changes us, that transforms us. And so God, we pray that this morning as we think about your words to us in Isaiah 61, that you would use your spirit to teach us and to to instruct us and to remind us of the joy that we have in Christ. Father, we are so grateful for this time together, and I pray that you would change us in this place. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I love Christmas. I love this Advent season. Um, The word Advent, right, the arrival of a notable person. And uh, that's why we call Christmas that, because we remember the coming of Christ, this notable person in uh, the history of the world, but also this notable person in our faith. And so uh, as we've come through this Advent season, we've talked about uh, the theme of hope, the, the hope that we have because Christ came. We talked last week about the peace that he brings when he comes, and today we're digging into this idea of joy, and a joy that 
is everlasting. And so uh, we've read this passage in Isaiah 61, but uh, I want to, to talk about uh, for a few minutes the idea of, of losing something. The idea of losing something. Um, I remember I was in college and uh, I, I lost something that wasn't mine. And that's a really terrible feeling. Uh, we had uh, our, our coach, our football coach had come and he had uh, told us we had this uh, workout that was a surprise. I didn't know about it. And so I didn't have a pair of shorts, right? And my buddy, Kyle, he, uh, he's like, hey, man, I've got an extra pair in my locker. Here's a pair of shorts. So I put the shorts on. And, of course, after a workout, you don't just give those shorts back to him. Even, even college guys are better than that, right? And so I take these shorts and I take them to a dorm room, which is maybe the only thing worse, and uh, they just get mixed in with all the clothes, some of which are clean, some of which are dirty. You do the sniff test. You know, you just never know. And so I've got these shorts that aren't mine. They're Kyle's. And to be honest, I completely forget about it because that's what college guys do. And so he knocks on my door about three weeks later, and he's like, hey, man, I was looking for those shorts I let you borrow. Do you have them? And it was one of those moments where like 83 bajillion things was going through my head, and so I didn't say anything, which is pretty common for me. And then, um, and then words came out of my mouth. So the thoughts going through my head were things like, I have no idea where those shorts are. I lost those shorts. I have no way of knowing where those shorts are. And this guy is a much bigger football player than I am, and I don't want to tell him that I don't know where his shorts are. And so the words that come out of my mouth uh, after thinking all of those things are, yeah, I was pretty sure I gave those back to you. So I was like, maybe you just forgot? Maybe He's like, I, I don't know. Like, I don't think I have them, man. And I was like, I'm pretty sure I gave them back to you. I was like, you look for them, and I'll look for them, and we'll see what happens. And he left. And so um, I thought, all right, I've fixed the problem. But he closed the door, and I began to look for the shorts, and I could not find these shorts anywhere, right? Could not find these shorts anywhere. It kind of became awkward between me and Kyle for the rest of the semester. And um, here's, here's the thing that I have never told Kyle ever. I still have the shorts. <laughs> I still have the shorts. So uh, I found these shorts. Uh, here's what had happened as uh, other college, another college guy thing, right? Um, one weekend, I went home for the weekend. I had just thrown all the clothes, clean or dirty, we weren't really sure, into a basket, taken it home to mom. Mom had washed the shorts, folded them, assumed that I'd bought them at college and put them in my dresser at home. And I had no clue where these shorts were, but they were safe and sound up in southwest Indiana. Uh, while I was telling Kyle, I'm pretty sure I gave those shorts back to you. <laughs> so uh, here was the thing. I denied that I still had the shorts. And I even got to this point, I don't know if you've done this when you lose something, you begin to tell yourself that, like you begin to tell yourself these stories and you begin to believe the very things that you're telling them are true, right? Like maybe I really did give Kyle the shorts back <laughs> and I just forgot, right? And, and I neglected to acknowledge that there could be more to the story. Like I, I just found uh, an endpoint, and I said, this is it. And I know it sounds weird because we're guys and all that stuff and it should be fine and normal, but the whole rest of that semester, I was never the same around Kyle, right? I didn't want to face him. Like, we were on the same football team. He lived on the same hall. And, and yet, I found any way that I could to avoid Kyle because I didn't want to talk about these shorts. I felt really bad about it. 
I tell that story because I think when we come to this idea of joy in our lives, joy is one of those things that we feel like we, we should have, we, we know that we should have joy, but a lot of times we just don't know where it is. We can't seem to find it. And we don't know what to do about that. And in much the same way as it was difficult for me to face Kyle the rest of the semester or, or to, to approach him, I think whenever we feel like we've lost our joy and we don't know how to find our joy or how to get it back, it becomes hard for us to approach Jesus, the one who gives us the joy in the first place, right? So I want to talk about losing our joy for just a few minutes. What's happening when we can't seem to find joy in our lives, even though we know that we have it somewhere? You know, when we've lost our joy, we struggle to embrace Jesus. And I don't know why you're here this morning. I don't, I don't know um, how you got here necessarily. Uh, for some of you, maybe you don't even believe in Jesus. You came because your spouse wants you to. You came to watch your niece or your nephew or your grandchild sing. And when you lose your joy, and, and if you don't believe in Jesus, it becomes even easier to reject him. Well, if I don't feel joy and this Jesus is supposed to be real, then surely this proves that he isn't. And I would understand that logic of thinking. For some of us, we do believe in Jesus, but when we lose our joy, we struggle to embrace that relationship with him. Jesus, if you're real, if you really want this relationship that you always talk about and call me into, then how come I'm not experiencing the joy of your salvation? And so when we can't find our joy, it's really troubling. It's a big problem. What is really happening when we can't seem to find our joy? I read this story this week as I was preparing, and uh, it was meaningful for me. There was a guy named Robert Robinson. Robert Robinson was the author of the hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And if you know that song, it's a, it's a very joyful song. And so he wrote this song, and years later he would become very depressed. He lost the happy communion uh, that he had with Jesus. And in his declining years, he didn't know how to find his joy. And so his choice in life, his decision was to just begin traveling the world. He was going to travel the world in search of joy. And while he was traveling, he became acquainted with uh, this young lady who um, maybe was kind of in the same spirit of life. And she was searching for uh, spiritual things. And uh, one day she was reading a hymn. It was his hymn. So she came to him, and they were having a conversation, and, and she said, Hey, I've been reading this hymn, and I just wanted to get your thoughts on it. And she read to Robert Robinson his own words. Say this, right? Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. So let that grace now, like a fetter, bind my wondering heart to thee. Prone to wonder? Lord, I feel that. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Take and seal it. Seal it for the courts above. Come thou fount of every blessing. Tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy, they're never ceasing. And they call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet, sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mount, I'm fixed upon it, mount of thy unchanging love. As you can imagine, he was deeply moved by hearing his own words read back to him, and he didn't want to respond, right? But she pressed into him, and he finally said, I'm the man who wrote that hymn many years ago. 
He said, I'd give anything to experience again the joy that I knew when I was writing those words. So the young lady was really surprised, right? Had no clue who she had been talking to this whole time. And she reassured him that those streams of mercy that he had written about still flowed. And to the glory of God, Mr. Robinson took his own advice and turned his wondering heart to the Lord. And he restored the joy of Jesus in his life. But that's a, that's a hard search when we lose our joy. When we lose something that's valuable to us, it's difficult to find. What does that frantic search for joy really look like? As I thought about that, I thought it'd be good for us to think about what it looks like for us to look for some of the everyday stuff that we lose and the effect that that has on our lives. You know, remotes, keys, phones, wallets, the usuals. So as I was looking for that, I found some startling facts from a, a survey done in 2017. One in every five Americans misplace something important every week. Is that true? If we raised our hands, probably we'd feel like it was more than one in five, right? Now, here was this, this is where it started to get me. Americans collectively spend a whopping 2.7 billion, that's billion with a B, dollars every year simply replacing the items they can't find. All right, now who's guilty? I can't find it, go buy a new one. Melinda Harden is like, I'm guilty. Two hands. Two hands, right? Uh, it said the average American will spend more than $50 a year simply replacing things that they've lost. It's crazy. But it's not just our money, right? Americans spend an average of two and a half days of the year looking for misplaced stuff. That makes me sick. <laughs> that makes me sick just thinking about it. It's, it's, it's money, it's time, uh, and, and we give up a lot when we're looking for things. 60% of people have either been late to work or school because of lost items. Yes, please. Followed by 49% who have missed appointments or meetings. And even 22% have missed flights, trains, or bus rides. When we lose something and we're searching for it, it costs us a lot. It costs us time. It costs us money. It costs us emotional stuff. And looking for joy is no different. How much of our energy, how much of our resources, how much of who we are is, is pulled together in searching for joy in this world? It's a frantic search that can cost us dearly. But what does that search look like? Right? We can picture in our mind what it looks like to look for the remote. It's a scary thing. But what does it look like to search for joy? I think for many of us it's described in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 2. It's really fun when God's word speaks so directly to where I feel like uh, maybe our culture is. And so in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, Solomon, who was known for being one of the wisest men to ever walk on the earth, writes this about his search for joy. He says, I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this too was meaningless. So I said, laughter is silly. What good does it do to seek pleasure? After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. And while still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. In this way, I tried to experience the only happiness that most people find during their brief life in this world. I also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate my many flourishing groves. I bought slaves, both men and women, and others were born into my household. 
I also owned large herds and flocks, more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, and had many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire. So I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. Sobering. And yet, descriptive of our frantic search for joy. As we come to Isaiah 61, the readers of Isaiah's words were looking for joy as well. They'd been exiled, they were away from their city, and they were away from the Lord. Just think about the description of the people that were seeking for something in Isaiah 61. We look at the first few verses. In that, they're described as poor, brokenhearted, captives, those who are bound. They had a headdress of ashes. They were mourning. They had a faint spirit. These were people who felt hopeless, who had no peace, and who were seeking joy, frantically searching for it. And so I ask us, can we identify with any of that? Has 2017 been a year of mourning? Have you had a time of being faint in spirit, just not feeling like yourself? Have you felt bound by something? Have, have you felt poor and brokenhearted? If we have, and I would guess that many of us have in different ways, there's good news. And the good news is that Jesus came to transform people's lives. He came to transform the lives of people who were in this very situation. Because you see, for each of these things and, and the ways that people felt, you also see what the Lord is bringing to those things when he comes and makes his arrival on earth. He's coming to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of prison to those who are bound. You see, Jesus is about radical transformation. And too often, we reduce Jesus down to so much less than that. You see, Jesus didn't come to form us into the perfect person or to make our lives clean and, and right. The law could have done that, right? If we would have just obeyed the law. Jesus didn't come to manage our problems. Government could have done that or strict discipline. Jesus didn't come to give us worldly pleasure and blessings. We could have accomplished that on our own through hard work just as Solomon did. Jesus came to radically transform our lives, to take what was dead and old and make it live and new. And that's the good news of Christmas. And that gives us great joy. And when we experience that kind of transformation, either in us or in those around us, that's when we experience true and great joy. Joy is the fruit of a right relation with God. It's not something that we can create by our own efforts. One author said, Joy is the flag which is flown from the castle of the heart when the king is in residence there. What a great mental picture of that. But the question becomes, how does joy get expressed? Is joy just being happy all the time? Is it being able to always have a smile on your face or being able to laugh? No, it's not simply being happy. We consider Proverbs 14, 13. Proverbs 14, 13 says, Even in laughter the heart may ache, and the end of joy may be grief. 
and now we're perplexed. You see, our emotions are deceptive. Joy isn't just about feeling happy. It's the fruit of a right relationship with God, right? And getting right with God always takes transformation. It always takes old becoming new, death turning to life. And that's what brings the joy. So back to our Israelites. They're exiled from their homes. They have no reason for joy, no clear path to how they're going to get their joy back or how they're going to find it. So Jesus gives them a vision of what that day will look like when they have true joy in Christ. We pick it up in verse 4 of Isaiah 61. It says, In that day they shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers, but you shall be called the priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion, and they shall have everlasting joy. Now, there's a lot going on in these few verses, but I want us to think about what is really being said for just a moment. Isaiah, speaking the words of God, is saying to these people, you have no reason for joy. Everything is bleak in your, in your life and in this time. And Jesus is coming, although he is not named, right, as a prophecy about him, to transform all of these things in your life. And not only is he going to transform you, but he's going to transform the community around you. He's going to take your transformed life and he's going to take it back to the city that you're exiled from. And I want you to think about emotionally what that would feel like to, to know you were exiled. You couldn't defend the very city that you lived in. And now you're going back with no value, no hope. And you're not only going back, but you're going back and you're going to receive double honor. You're going to transform the city because of the transformation that's in you. And people are going to join you in that. What an incredible picture of the gospel. You see, transforming people transform communities. And that's the power of the gospel. And when we see that kind of transformation happening, not only in our lives, but in our community, it gives us great, great joy. And no matter how much joy you have, it will be fleeting if the community around you isn't being transformed as you are. So we see this picture of joy. We see this vision of joy. We understand that Jesus gives us joy. But for many of us, we're still seeking it. How do I find that joy? How do we really find joy in our relationship with Jesus Christ? In verse 10, Isaiah writes, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. And if we're honest, there are many days that we just say, how do I find joy like that? Because I don't know how to do it. What does that look like, Lord? Three ideas, three application points as we think about finding joy in Christ and as we see his word telling us how we should do that. Number one is this, fill up on Jesus first. Matthew 6.33 says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I also like Isaiah 26.3. It says, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. How do we fill up on Jesus first? 
Jonathan Edwards said this, the enjoyment of God is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. To go to heaven fully to enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. Fathers and mothers, husbands, wives, children, or the company of earthly friends are but shadows, but God is the substance. These are but scattered beams, but God is the sun. These are but streams, but God is the ocean. We have to fill up on Jesus first. What do I mean by that? I've learned that there are two kinds of Christmas parties. There is one Christmas party where you eat a big full meal and you feel, I don't know what you feel, you just feel. And then there's the other kind of Christmas party that doesn't have a meal but has all kinds of sweet treats. Okay? There's two kinds of Christmas parties. So when you go to that one with, that's all like cookies and candy and sweet treats, um, you will sit at the snack table and you will eat the whole time. And then you will leave and you will feel sick. <laughs> right? Isn't that how that goes? Like, and you, you never seem to totally get enough. It's like you can eat puppy chow or caramel corn or whatever kind of candy you have at your party. You can eat that the whole night, and you just continue to eat and eat and eat and eat. Or you go to the party where you have, like, Christmas ham and rolls and mashed potatoes and green beans, and you're still going to enjoy some dessert, but you're going to leave and you're going to feel full. So here's the thing. There's a lot of really sweet things in this life that bring us joy. Remember Ecclesiastes 2? Those are blessings. They are, they are great things. But they're a whole lot like dessert. They will never satisfy. They will never satisfy by themselves. They're going to taste good. We can, we can get a whole lot of them. But they will never satisfy. And in fact, when left unchecked, they actually steal our joy by consuming us. They make us sick. So we have to make sure that we're consuming good portions of Jesus, that we're filling up on Jesus, the meat of the gospel first, so that we can actually enjoy the dessert that we get to have, right? What does this look like practically? What does it look like practically to fill up on Jesus first? Nobody likes to eat their meat and potatoes, right? And that's what it looks like to fill up on Jesus first. It means as, as individuals, as family, as a church family, we have to prioritize things like getting to the weekly gathering. It's the simplest form of obedience. We have to prioritize things like getting into a group of people, reading scripture together, and praying with one another. We call that a community group, but that's just a fancy name for reading the Bible, praying together, and sharing life with one another, right? Practically speaking, right, just a little sidebar, those start again for us at Christ Community on January 7th. All those groups are starting to come out right now. And uh, if you're interested in that, check that on your communication card, right? And let's get you plugged into that. It looks like one-on-one -on -one discipleship. It looks like having a person that's pouring into you and, and you having a person that you pour into. That's the meat of, of finding joy in Christ, and what's so deceptive about this world is that when we neglect to eat that first, when we neglect to fill up on Jesus in those ways first, all of these things that are really great blessings and bring us a lot of joy in our lives, they just don't satisfy us. A piece of pumpkin pie tastes a whole lot better after ham. I don't know. It's just how it works. We have to fill up on Jesus first. The second is this. We need to ask for help in finding our joy. 
We need to ask for help in finding our joy. Psalm 51.12 says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. I love what this verse says, but I love the context of this verse more. The King David wrote this as a prayer, as a psalm to God after he committed adultery with Bathsheba. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. I feel terrible, God, but bring back the joy of your salvation. Remind me of what that looks like. We don't like to ask God to restore the joy of our salvation because when we do, it means that we have to admit that we've lost it. I didn't want to have to tell Kyle that I didn't have his shorts, so I lied. <laughs> right? Just confessions right here. We don't want to tell God that we've lost our joy. We don't want to ask him to restore our joy because we realize inside of us that means we admit that we've lost it, that we've misplaced the joy that he's given to us. It's humbling. It's intimidating to ask him. But the Lord not only knows where you can find your joy, but he is the source of your joy. Now, it's also good to note, right, that the Lord can use all kinds of things to help restore that joy to you. Therapy, medications, community, doctors. But the key is that we recognize that the source of joy is Jesus alone. And when you ask for help finding your joy, it's requiring you to admit that you've lost it. Or possibly that you've never truly known the joy of having a relationship with Jesus in the first place. So practically, if this is speaking to you, what I want to ask you to do is this. When we have our response time today, I want you to pray and ask God to restore the joy of your salvation. For some of you, that may just be in that moment of response time today. For others, it could look like what I was inspired by this week. One of the guys I'm meeting with, he shared with me that he had written out a prayer that he prays every morning. And in it, he asked the Lord to restore his joy each and every day. I was so inspired by that. So as we begin to regain our joy in Christ, right, we, we, we realize that we have to fill up on Christ first if we really want to experience the joy of all that he's blessing us with. And we realize that, that we have to ask him for help in finding it. But as we begin to find it, how do we protect it? How do we keep things from stealing our joy? How do we keep Satan away from the joy that Christ has given it? How do we keep rejoicing? Stop grumbling. Stop grumbling. Philippians 2, verses 14 through 18 says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I didn't run in vain or labor in vain, even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I'm glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. You know what's amazing about the context of this verse? Paul's in prison saying, rejoice with me. Stop grumbling. Rejoice with me. You see, the difficulty with not grumbling is that you can do it whether anyone is listening or not. You have no accountability for it. And in turn, grumbling affects you more than it affects those who hear you. We often grumble because we feel like it's going to change things, but in, in most cases, it's only changing us and much pushing us farther away from Christ. All kinds of bad things happen and are going to continue to happen in this world. It's the result of our sin. But often what keeps us from having joy in difficult times is the grumbling that we give into. 
it's likely that we will have sorrow and pain as we face the trials of this world, right? God created us and gave us those emotions, but they are deceptive. Sorrow and pain do not have to lead to grumbling and disputes. Paul is presenting in this passage a transformative, world-changing idea here. Imagine a community, imagine a church, imagine a world in which believers in Christ did all things without grumbling or disputing. It's almost unimaginable. But let's imagine just a reachable next step together. I want you to think about your own life. How would people respond to you differently if you cut your grumbling in half? How would that change the relationships that you have and how would it change your relationship with Christ? Even so, all of this is only possible if we're first getting our fill of Christ and then asking for him to restore the joy to us. So how do we find joy? We fill up on Jesus. We ask him for it and we stop grumbling. And when we do that, we find joy in this transforming power of Jesus because he is changing us and he's changing those around us and he's changing communities through us. And that's the joy of Christmas. That we can have full joy because of one baby that was born into the world. You know, on that first Christmas, the wise men came with gifts for Jesus. A new king had been born into this world and they came with gifts. But true to the nature of God, right? True to his nature, it was Jesus who was actually bringing the best gift. The gift of joy. Joy both to Mary as she brought a baby into the world and held him for the first time, but also to us as he saved us from our sins by dying on the cross. In John chapter 16, Jesus offered these words of wisdom. He said, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish. For joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now. You have sorrow now. But I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. This morning, the band is going to come, and we get a chance to respond to the joy of knowing Jesus. My request of you is simple. Would you join me in asking Jesus to transform you? He has the power to do it, and when you allow that to happen, great joy will follow. But it's a big ask. Because when we ask Jesus to change us, we're admitting that we don't have it all figured out. We're admitting that things are wrong in our life that we must change. But I want to encourage you as we come to this time of response to, to simply let Jesus change you. Ask him to restore the joy of your salvation. As you respond, we're going to celebrate the gift of, the, of eternal life that Christ gave to us when he died on the cross. Up in the front, uh, there'll be a communion, the Lord's Supper, for all those who have been baptized and placed their trust and faith in Christ. 
You can come forward and take a piece of the bread and dip it in the juice, remembering that Christ's body was broken and his blood was shed so that we could be made whole, that we could find true joy. You can also give in the back in the cans, or you can come and pray with me and others as you try and figure out what your next step is on this path to finding joy in Christ. Let's pray together and let's respond to the joy of Jesus Christ. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we thank you that you sent your son Jesus, that you sent yourself in human form, not just to save us, not just to help us, but to give us joy. And so, God, I just pray in this moment for each person here. Pray for the story that you've written in their life. And I pray that in this moment, each of us would find joy in the salvation of Jesus Christ. Father, for those in the room who have never been able to fully trust you, who've never said out loud, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. God, I pray that you would give them the courage to come to you today and to place their faith and trust in you. And to those of us who have lost that joy, who've maybe seen it taken away by trials and tribulations in this world, I pray that you would restore to them the joy of your salvation. I pray that you would help them to fill up on Christ. Find life anew in the transforming power of the gospel, the good news. Jesus is alive, and we can live eternally with him. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and would you respond with us as we continue in worship this morning? Oh, sing all ye bright hosts of heaven. 
adore him oh come let us adore him oh come let us adore him Christ the Lord yeah Lord we greet thee on this happy morning Jesus Matt Bergen's not going to use a microphone. Oh, don't work. There it goes. There it goes. Man, that was that was awesome, guys. Um, Christmas week, right? Exciting times. Everybody's busy. A lot going on. Uh, but I think what I got from this, like, there's so much joy we have in Jesus. So this week, take that and share that with somebody. You know, stranger, somebody you know. Just show them show them that love Jesus has and that joy He has. Um, doesn't matter who it is. Just just he'll put that person on you and just take that opportunity to do that. Um, as we get up to, to Christmas, we got a lot going on. Uh, next Sunday morning, we'll have regular service at 10. Um, Katie has informed me that the kids in the back want to wear their pajamas next week. So um, I guess you can too if you want. But, uh, but she said that. And also next Sunday at 5, we're going to have a Christmas Eve service. Um, there'll be no child care for that, uh, but also they're going to have some hot chocolate cookies um, just be a great time, candlelight service, just get together, um, just thank Jesus, thank, you know, just celebrate him and his birth. Um, I'll pray for us, and then we'll go out and be the church. Dear Lord, we just, uh, we just thank you. Um, we thank you for, for just the joy you give us, the, the joy we find in you. Um, just pray that we would take that um, throughout this week, throughout each and every day, and just share that um, joy with others. Just be a light for you in this world. Um, we thank you for your son. Thank you for sending him to, to be that example for us, to be that sacrifice for us, to be that joy for us, Lord. Um, may we remember that during this time. Uh, may we um, not get caught up in, in everything else and just, just always fall back on you and, and celebrate you. We just love you and we thank you. And all this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. It's frightening 